Can you help me give God a hand of praise this morning? Oh, come on. He's been better than that. God is good. Amen. Praise God. It is such an honor to be here this morning. I mean, I'm home. Amen. This is great. This is great. I know some of y'all looking like I ain't never seen you before. Amen. Uh, A lot can happen in a year, but uh, I used to be uh, a member here, my wife and my family uh, who is here. We're so excited to be here. Um, This brother over here is proof because he's wearing one of our church uh, t-shirts. Amen. We thank God for representation. Praise the Lord. But uh, I am just so happy to be home. And so uh, let me just first start by giving God praise. Can you help me celebrate, um, in my opinion, one of the greatest pastors on the planet, Pastor Peter Hong? Amen. Can we praise God for him? I thank God for my big brother, my mentor. Uh, is so often, I'm so excited that he is able to take the sabbatical, and I want to celebrate you all in your maturity and let him do that. Most of the times, uh, I love the image of a pastor that I once heard a while ago uh, when a pastor is likened to a shepherd. And a lot of times when real shepherds uh, and their sheep get caught in the thickets or the thorns of life, and their job is to instinctively go in and free their wool and free their coat, that the shepherd oftentimes gets cut and bruised himself, and no one is there to tend to his or her wounds. And so we praise God for a mature church that allows the pastor to breathe. Amen. And so uh, I want to celebrate you all and celebrate him in that manner. So, yes, last year, actually, it's been a full year, which is kind of weird, since our family moved to Seattle. I'm born and raised Chicago all my life on the south side. Shout out to the White Sox. I ain't scared of no Cub fans in here. God bless you. Amen. But, uh, yeah, God called us uh, to Seattle, and we started uh, Radiant Church through the Evangelical Covenant Church. And uh, prior to that, my family and I had the privilege of, of being a part of this church, making this our church home for two years uh, prior to that, uh, uh, even before that, I was at seminary at North Park uh, during my time here. Um, and before that, I had served in uh, ministry for 10 years and tried to do that ministry and seminary at the, at the same time. And anybody who has any inkling of seminary knows that was a very foolish idea. And uh, I got completely burned out. And uh, I just wanted to share this because this church literally revived me. This church and this ministry and the people here literally revived me, revived my family, and refueled me for what we're doing in Seattle. So you should give yourselves a hand and give God praise that you're a part of that kind of church. Amen. And so uh, as Pastor Michael had mentioned, he's absolutely right. Whether you know it or not, you have planted a church in Seattle. Amen. All we're trying to do is create new community in Seattle. Praise God. And so we're really excited. God has just been blowing our minds. We went out there last year uh, just to share a little bit about uh, what God has been doing. Uh, We went out there last year, and uh, the membership of Radiant Church was five. It was me, my wife, and our three kids. Amen. We had a thriving ministry, and everybody tithed. It was wonderful. Amen. Everybody gave. It was off the chain because they needed room and board. Praise the Lord. And so everybody just gave, and it was great. And we got to meet people, and uh, we were out there starting in August of 2013. And uh, by Christmas, uh, we had a solid core team of 16 people where uh, seven ethnicities were represented. Amen. And uh, God has just been blowing our mind. We had our third uh, preview service just last Sunday uh, where we had uh, over 50 adults 
uh, in worship, 10 kids in children's ministry, and um, I'm just really excited. We're getting up September 21st. Just lift up a prayer for us because that is our kickoff Sunday of launching weekly, and God has been doing amazing things. Our church is located geographically in the equivalent of the Roseland community of Seattle, if you will, in South Seattle. And uh, God has been doing amazing things. We've been out in the neighborhood, in the community. And one of the coolest things, last story I share, one of the coolest things that we saw happen is we had a woman uh, come to one of our preview services. Uh, she was homeless because she heard that we gave out free coffee. And so we said, you know, please come on in. There's no bait and switch. You don't have to stay for church, but no, please know you are more than welcome. And uh, one of our core members said, well, I'm curious, how did you hear about our church? And a neighborhood drug dealer uh, gave her a flyer and said, hey, you need some coffee. This, this church is, is, is giving out coffee on Sunday morning. And I got excited because I said, the thugs, I'm telling people to come to church. We the cool church. Yeah. It was off the chain. <laughs> And that just gave me so much joy, and everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, yes, we cool. <laughs> and so, uh, to, but to God be the glory, and, and I'm excited. We're seeing uh, literally a revival um, happen in Seattle. Uh, they thought we were weird that we would actually go out in the community and tell people about Jesus. They had just never seen that, and it has been infectious. And so, continue to pray for us. We're super excited, and ain't nobody mad but the devil. Amen. 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 Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like preaching this morning. Is that all right? I feel like preaching, and so I just want you to indulge me. I want to encourage you uh, as we prepare to look into uh, the 13th Psalms. We'll look at the 13th Psalm. Don't get nervous. It's only six verses. Some Psalms are long, some are short. This is a short one. Amen. And uh, as we prepare uh, to dive into the Word today, I do want to share a word of encouragement. And so I believe if you live long enough, you will come to realize that every human being is in one or two situations. Either you're in a situation or you're just coming out of a situation. <laughs> if you live long enough, you'll know that to be true. Either you're in a situation or you're just coming out of a situation. So as I, as I led by the Holy Spirit to share a word of encouragement today, if you're in a situation, this is just for you. And if you're just coming out of a situation, put this in your back pocket you're going to need it in a minute. Can you shout amen? Uh, the 13 Psalms, uh, it's on the screen. If you don't want to look at the screen, I'm sure you could pull out your iPhone or your Whackberry, I mean Blackberry, or whatever you got. Yeah, I told you, I'm from the hood. I don't care. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. 13th Psalm, and I'm reading from the New International Version for the sake of clarity. And the Bible says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? How many of y'all know this doesn't sound too good? Verse 3, look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Look back at verse 3. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes. 
give light to my eyes. For our time together, I want to talk from the subject, take another look. Take another look. Before we went to Seattle, as often we did, we lived. Uh, as I mentioned, I was in seminary. I see my professor, May Young, back there. Thank you for passing me in Hebrew. Glory to God. I hope the check cleared. Amen. Um, but I was in seminary, and this was our church home. And as you can imagine, uh, a family of five trying to get ready for church is more than a notion. And we're rushing because uh, we want to get here be- uh, for prayer before service starts, uh, praying with the team. And we were rushing, and I wanted to wear uh, a, a blazer, uh, my black blazer and my black slacks. And I was rushing, uh, trying to get dressed, and I put on uh, some clothes, and we're running out the house. And as soon as I got outside, I looked in the sun, and I saw it was actually my blue pants with my black jacket. And unless I was game banging, I was out of order. Some of y'all missed that because y'all live on the north side. Amen. All right. So... Anyway, so I was like, oh, man, but I didn't have time to change, and I just had to come to church and play it off, and it's all good. And the reality was uh, when I was getting dressed, looking at it in my eyes, it looked black on black. It was fine. But until I saw it in light of the sun, I realized the reality of what I was working with. And um, it's amazing how perspectives can change for the better when we could see a situation in light of the sun, in light of the sun. And that may work for my pants in light of the SU win, but I want to encourage us by kicking off our time together to let you know that it is amazing how your perspective can change on any given situation you may find yourself in when you look at it in light of not the SU win, but the S-O-N, in light of the Son of God. Because the reality is, family, some seasons or situations can have a way of knocking the literal life out of you. Whether it's an unemployment season. How many of y'all know you never see that pink slip coming when it comes? A situation you didn't expect uh, uh, can knock the life out of you. A health situation. You thought you were going to the doctor for a regular checkup and your whole world is rocked by the report the doctor has given you. Earlier this year, some of you may have heard it, it made national headlines in Seattle at Seattle Pacific University um, on the verge of graduation day that a senseless uh, act of violence happened on a campus in Seattle Pacific University where a young man who was about to graduate already had his future lined up of how he was going to serve the Lord vocationally was senselessly killed on campus at this Christian university. And myself and several pastors from around the area just naturally converged on that campus because so many students, their faith was rocked to the core, not understanding how God could allow something like this to happen. And what I love about this particular Psalms, uh, at the core of it, is first of all of how when we read this, I am encouraged that it, if it does nothing else, it gives us the right expectations we should have of the Christian life. What I mean by that is this Psalm lets us know that just because we're saved, just because we're in the body of Christ, just because we have a relationship with Jesus does not automatically make us exempt from trouble, trials, or tribulations. 
that when we walk with the Lord, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have trouble in this life. This is not somebody who doesn't know the Lord. This is not somebody who just kind of casually comes to church. This is a person that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And here he is saying, essentially, God, what is up with this situation? The reality is, and I love it, Jesus lets us know in John 16, Jesus says, no, in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus lets us know it's not a matter of if, it is literally a matter of when. You are going to have trouble in this world. But aren't you glad that that verse doesn't end there? He says, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have already overcome. And what that should let you and I know, that walking with Jesus does not mean that we're exempt from trouble, does not mean that we won't have issues that come in our lives. But the good news, the saving peace of God that we have is to know that when we go through, he won't never leave us nor forsake us. That he will walk right there with us, getting us through that situation. I love the biblical transparency of this particular psalm. We see the lament. We see the realities of a person who is walking with the Lord going through a crazy situation. Dr. James W. Lindbergh said in his commentary entitled simply Psalms, he said this, look at the screen. It says, our lives are made up of both happiness and tears. And the writers of this book include Psalms of both praise and lament. It may well be that the greatest contribution the Psalms can make to our own lives will be to help us through those times of tragedy and tears. Family, this is why it is so critical that when facing rough seasons and tough situations, that we must see them in the light of the right perspective. That we understand what is really going on here as we allow to look ourselves to look at the situation through the light of the sun. That's why we got to be careful, and I want to warn us of, inter, uh, of entertaining any kind of theology that makes us feel like that your, that, your, that your measure of faith is how healthy you are, is how many zeros is in your bank account, is how many friends you got, that everything is on easy street is equated to you must really have a relationship with Jesus. I came to let you know the devil is a liar and a loser. Because the reality is, you will never know God as a healer until you've been sick yourself. You will never know God as a provider until you've been broke trying to figure out how I'm going to get a tank of gas. Hello, somebody. Can I, keep, can I keep it real? Just keep looking at me and won't nobody know I'm talking about you. Amen. We won't know God in these ways until we've been in situations of adversity. No wonder the Bible says, count it all joy when you find yourself facing various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Can you shout amen? amen? And so, here's David's dilemma in this text. Psalms 13 is written by a brother named David, who was reflecting on a time in his life before he became king of Israel. If you don't know David, he is uh, arguably one of the most fascinating uh, persons in biblical antiquity that we can learn about. David uh, is a brother, I like to say, he was real. He kept it 100. He loved God. If, if there was a rapper equivalent to, to David, it would be Tupac. He was a thug, but he knew how to cry. Brenda's got a baby. Amen. <laughs> Tupac. David was the man. You hear me? He, he, he was unashamedly emotional. He loved God passionately. 
but he had a little triflingness in him. Pray, pray for David. Amen. He was. But at this point in his life, David was, you know, we saw all the good stuff of David, the, the passions of David. And here he is in this situation, and he's reflecting on this time in his life where it looked like this situation was going to take him out. But what, what, what it should encourage us is he's reflecting on this after he has already become king. And the first thing I want to encourage us with is to let you know, I don't care what your situation is, what your season is. I want you to know, like David, your story is not over. That God has a future for you. And if we just hold on to God's unchanging hand, he will see you through that situation. Can you shout amen? But at this particular time in Psalms 13, David doesn't know he's going to become king. And he is stressing out. He is on the current king's most wanted list. He was on King Saul's most wanted list. If you don't know, King Saul, real quick, was the first king of Israel. Israel, uh, prior to Saul, had no king. God was their king. But just like a little kid, they wanted to be like all the other nations. All the other nations had a king. They wanted a king. My daughter's outside last week. All the other kids chasing after the ice cream truck, she wanted ice cream. And I said, we just bought a deep freezer that's filled with them big old ghetto freeze pops, not them little ones, you know, the big thick ones. Amen. I said, you better go in there and have yourself a Holy Ghost time. Amen. Don't be chasing after everybody else. Praise the Lord. But just like (laughs) the children of Israel, (laughs) they wanted a king like everybody else wanted a king. So God lovingly said, okay, Noah's going to come with some consequences, though. Isn't God off the chain? He is the greatest king alive. And they said, yeah, we love you, God, but we, we want one of these over here. God blesses them. God gives them what they ask for, but lets them know it's going to be consequences for what you ask for. And so Saul becomes king. He's doing a great job. And then, you know, amen, Saul must have been from Illinois. He got corrupt as a politician. Praise the Lord. Amen. I can say that I'm from here. Amen. Don't be hating on me. It's, we keep it real. Saul goes sour. God says, all right, scratch him. I want David. He goes past the palace, looks into a shepherd's field, and finds a young boy that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And he tags him. Saul has an inkling of what's going on. He knows that God has deserted him. And now, as all human beings do who run away from God, they think they can preempt God by trying to destroy what God has already set in motion. And so Saul is now chasing David. David finds himself in a situation where Saul is chasing him. And Saul had a lot of reasons to be jealous of David. It started up when David joined the army. David killed Goliath. He's on the army. And then the cheerleaders of the nation of Israel will come in and say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Everybody's loving David. The army is loving David. And Saul is starting to get intimidated. And so he sets out to kill David. And David is out here in the wilderness, completely surrounded by his situation. David is a believer that finds himself in a rough season and a tough situation. Can I ask you, what would you do if you were surrounded by your situation? Let me, let me make this plain. It's one thing to have one kind of isolated issue that you know you got to deal with. But imagine if everywhere you looked, it was some drama. Every area of your life is just drama. David is surrounded by his situation. 
It's easy to understand if David wanted to because some of us have fallen in this category that when we find ourselves in a rough situation, it's real easy for us to develop a why me complex, a a why me perspective. Then we start gauging our sins like, God, I ain't that bad. You know, I, I know I do this stuff, but I ain't, you know, did you see what that dude did on the news? I ain't like that guy. What's going on? We develop this why me perspective, and that's dangerous ground. But what I love about looking at David's dilemma is what's great about David is that in the midst of his dilemma is that he doesn't go to other people, but he goes to God directly. What I love about that, and there seems to be a misnomer in church that makes us believe that we're not supposed to bring any problems to God. Like, we're not supposed to question God or, or have a problem. Like, we're just always supposed to come into the church saying, I'm blessed and highly favored, or that I'm just feeling good today. And nothing could be further from the truth. He's honest with God about how he sees the situation. If you look at anybody in the Bible who had an authentic walk with God, an authentic walk with Jesus, they had no problem saying, God, what's up with this? And it doesn't mean that I'm questioning you. It doesn't mean that I'm belittling who you are. It's saying, God, if we're in a real relationship, let me just keep it real with you. And this sucks. This is not fair. I should have stayed in the world if this is what I was going to get coming to serve you. Can I talk to some real people? God, what's going on with this situation? He comes to God because when you're in a real relationship with somebody, you talk to them. Good, bad, up, down, right, wrong. It says that we have a real relationship, and David loves the Lord, and he's saying, God, what's up with this situation? Even Jesus' disciples, when they was on the boat in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, the Bible says the wind and waves were going such, and that the boat was starting to sink, and they weren't just up there singing hymns. They weren't up there just saying, I know the Lord going to work it out. They went down to Jesus, snapped them on the head and said, hey, man, do you care if we die or not? Real relationship, real struggle. We have to have that kind of intimacy with God, that kind of relationship with God that we're comfortable enough to know who to turn to because the reality is you could call Pastor Michael, you could call Pastor Peter, you could call anybody else you think is religiously elite. At the end of the day, we all broken humanity. Hello, somebody. David goes to God directly. Because at the end of the day, God is the only one who can do something about it. And so the question is, do we allow the season or situation to overwhelm us, or do we rise above it? I think what's most critical here is to not let the situation convince you that God is not with you. Don't let your season or situation of struggle convince you that God is not with you. As we dissect this 13th Psalms, what we see, it has four elements to it that I think reflects an authentic relationship with God. There's the lament or the complaint where we see David in this how long narrative or language that he uses. There is uh, the second element, which was a call for help. He said, look unto me, O God, give light to my eyes. Then there we see an affirmation of trust. David goes on to say, but I will trust in your unfailing love. And then there was a vow 
to praise. I will sing unto you. An authentic relationship reflects this lament, this authenticity, this transparency to come to God as you, as you are, to call unto him for help, to embrace an affirmation of trust, and then to give a vow of praise. Listen, if you're going to trust God, that doesn't mean you got to wait to praise God. You could praise God right now because you know God is going to deliver you. Can you shout amen? Hallelujah. This psalm is also comprised of six verses that I like to say is broken up into three parts. The first two verses start with a lament and complaint, yet in the last two verses, they end with praise and peace of mind. How does one go from lament and complaint to praise and peace of mind? And I'm convinced that what took David from complaining to praising about the situation was that in the two middle verses, David was able to take another look when he asked God to give light into my eyes. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to dissect how David can empower us to take another look at our situation. Can you shout amen? The first thing we see from David is that he reached. Somebody shout reach. He reaches for God. In order for David to rise above the situation, he had to reach for God. The same person he complains to is also the only person who has the solution for his situation. I love David. He not only, he complains to the same person he knows is the only source of his solution. I love it. He reaches for God. Uh, in our church, in our church plant, uh, we have uh, a thing called a set of core values, these, these non-negotiables that kind of uh, serve as our proverbial line in the sand, the things that basically make up the skeleton of who our church is and, and what we're all about. And, and those core values are housed under four R's, which is uh, reverence, relevance, reach, and raise. We reverence the Word of God being our sole GPS guiding every step we take, every thought that we think through and plan. The Bible is our leading, leading kind of source that guides who we are as a church. We reverence the Word of God. We want to be a relevant church. We don't just want to have church on Sunday, but we want to be a practical and tangible asset to the community in which we, we reside. We want, we want to be relevant. We want to reach up to God and worship out to the world through outreach and evangelism and inwardly through diversity and recognition reconciliation. And then we want to be a church that raises up other leaders, disciples, and churches. We don't just want to be a church plant, but we eventually want to be a church that plants other churches. And somebody ought to say amen that I knew all that by heart. Amen, because that was a lot of information. But when it comes to reach, this is how we like to define reach, and I think it's so apropos to our talk this morning. Uh, if we could have the definition of reach on the screen, we define reach uh, as Radiant Church like this, to sacrifice myself in order to obtain something greater. To sacrifice myself in order to obtain something greater. The image there is like a child who reaches for their parents. They are willing to sacrifice their normal posture to reach for something that they are convinced that if I get it, it will put me in a better position than where I'm currently standing. I'm willing to sacrifice myself to obtain something greater. David is reaching for the Lord, and when he reaches for God, it is seen through this how-long narrative or language found here in the first two verses. 
and, and, and this how long narrative uh, is also found, uh, if you notice or not, in also Babylonian and Egyptian psalms, making the language here reflect a universal and human lament and not one that is exclusive to Israel or the Christian community. Now, here's what's profound about that. What that lets us know when David uses this how long narrative, it lets us know that we as humanity have this universal uh, uh, unconscious or subconscious draw to reach for something beyond ourselves. How long, oh God? He knows that whatever his situation is, whatever problem he finds himself in, that it is not within himself to get it out, that there is a greater power, that there is a greater source that I need to reach for to help me out of this situation. And what's interesting is the fact that it's only in these first two verses where we find the heart of the lament, and they are in the form of questions. And isn't that interesting that most of the time when we look back over our lives, most of our anxieties come when we feel like we're in a sense of uncertainty. God, what's going on here? We're anxious because we don't know. And here it is, the only questions found in this particular psalm are housed where we see David's lament, the description of what's causing him anxiety. David's frustration is the result of him seeing the situation through his eyes and trying to rely on his own ability. And here's the good news, family. What David doesn't realize at this point is that although he is surrounded by his enemies, what he doesn't recognize or realize is that his enemies are surrounded by God. Even though David is surrounded by his enemies, the bigger picture is his enemies are surrounded by God. I want you to know, you may feel you're surrounded by your situation, but your situation is surrounded by God. You may feel you're surrounded by the enemies you have in your life, but I want you to know your enemies are surrounded by God. Can you shout amen? And family, there will be seasons and situations we will face that only God can get us out of. Because the reality is, I don't care if you got every letter behind your name from A to Z. Amen, educated people. I don't care how much education you got. I don't care how many zeros you got in your bank account. At the end of the day, you will face some seasons and some situations that your credit, that your name, that your power, that your influence cannot get you out of. There are going to be some situations you face where this looks like a job for Superman. There's going to be some situations you face where only God can get you out of them. And I want to encourage you that we need to be comfortable to be in a posture of reaching for the only one who can save us from our situation. Hallelujah. No wonder the Bible says in the 121st Psalms, I know where my help comes from. I look to the hills from which cometh my help. Where? All my help. Not some of it, not sometimes. All my help comes from the Lord. If you know your help comes from the Lord, give the Lord just a quick hand of praise right there. Hallelujah. We got to reach, but not only do we have to reach, we have to readjust. Somebody shall readjust. It's, it's in verse 3 that we see the heart to what caused David to readjust and to take another look. He asked God to give light to his eyes. Family, it's a different situation when you shed God's light on it. In other words, to readjust your sight and see the situation or the season with knowing God 
is still with you. It's a wonderful thing to be able to see a situation when you recognize who you got on your team. For anybody who knows me for a little bit, anybody knows that I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan. Amen. I am, our church weekly prays for his salvation. Amen. I need, I need Tom Cruise in heaven. You understand me? My, my wife and I, we have bitter arguments. You know, she loves sad, I mean, Brad Pitt. You know, she thinks he's a better actor. And, and I just think Tom Cruise is off the chain. And, and my brother, we have been praying. And, and the Lord blessed him with a good movie recently, Edge of Tomorrow. If you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend it. It will bless your life. Amen. And, uh, and, and I bring up this movie. Even my wife had to say, yeah, that was good. That was good. That was good. I ain't going to front. That was good. And, and uh, in, in Edge of Tomorrow, uh, if, if you haven't seen the movie, it, it's about these aliens. You know, he's a, sci-fi, he's a sci-fi king. It's about these aliens. They're trying to kill humanity like all aliens do. Amen. And, uh, you know, they have this army trying to fight them, but they can't win. But there's this one soldier, this woman, all the women say amen. amen. All right. There's a sister in this army. She doesn't even use a gun. She got a sword bigger than her. And she is just slaying these aliens, right? She is like their poster child of hope. And they're at this point of this, of this movie where Tom Cruise has the secret of how to kill the aliens. Otherwise, he wouldn't be Tom Cruise in the movie. He needs to be the one who has the secret. So he knows how to kill these aliens. And he's getting these band of guys together and say, hey, we're going to go kill these aliens. We're going to go to their hometown and, and knock them out. And they look at him like, dude, you crazy. We ain't going nowhere. He there was like, you expect us to go into this situation with just us? Are you kidding me? And Tom said, no, I don't expect us to go by ourselves. I expect us to go with her. And the hero comes around the corner. And all the fellas' faces went from just like that. Why? Because when they looked at their situation with just themselves, they got nervous. But when they saw who they had on their side, they said, hey, we could do this. And I want to encourage you, I don't care what your situation is looking like, I want to encourage you to readjust your sight and see it, that you still got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on your side. And God will deliver you through that situation because he is a God who will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says he will be a friend that sticks closer than any brother. Can you shout amen? Family, if we don't readjust how we see a situation we will invite the wrong perspective and mindset into our hearts. If we don't readjust how we see the situation, we will invite the wrong perspective and mindsets into our hearts. It's like that woman in that commercial. She didn't have her glasses on, and she, inv- and she calls her kitty into the house, and it's a big old raccoon. I thought I was going to kick my TV over. You know I think raccoons are the devil. You know that, don't you? I mean, it's like... If I ask God one question, I'm like, really? What's, what's up with that? Them and possums, I don't know. But if we're not careful, we don't readjust our sight. We can invite the wrong thing into our situation. Verse 4, he says, uh, my enemies will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Don't let the season shake you. Readjust how you are viewing the situation. Let God brighten your eyes so you can remain calm in the midst of chaos. 
Family, I want to encourage you. I believe really all the enemy wants to do is shake you. It's to sift you. The Bible says a, a, a man or a woman unstable in all their ways cannot do the things of God. We can't be sta- uh, unstable. In Luke 22, verses 31, Jesus is talking about his pending death, and, and Peter comes up and says, God, I'll ne- Jesus, I'll never let it happen. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And he looks at Peter. He says, Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. Sifting is just a form of shaking to get you unstable. We have to learn how to be calm in the midst of the situation. And we can only do that when we readjust our eyes and how we see it. Can you shout amen? Amen. Lastly, we need to rely. Somebody shout rely. Rely. In the last two verses, David shifted his into praise because after he acknowledged that he needed to reach for God, Ask God to bring light to his eyes and take another look at the situation. He then achieved the peace of mind that God would deliver him. We have to rely. After we reach for God, readjust our situation at the end of the day, family, and I believe the most hardest part is now we have to rely that God will do what he said he would do. David relied, um, as the Bible says, on God's love to deliver him out of the situation. Verse 5, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. The word love used here, uh, Professor Young can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but the word love here is essentially the root word chesed. Chesed, try saying that fast five times. You'll catch a, you'll get caught up in your throat. Amen. But it's the word chesed which literally means an utterly dependable and relentless love. David says, I will trust in your unfailing chesed. I will trust in your unfailing, relentless, constantly chasing after me kind of love. This is a love that is ultimately attributed to how God loves his people. David was able to do this, family, because God had a track record of delivering David. This is not the first time David found himself in trouble. When he went up to face uh, Goliath, when the whole nation of Israel was scared out of their mind to fight Goliath, David says, I'll take him out. He brought lunch. He brought some Harold's chicken to his brothers. Harold's been blessing me since I've been here. Amen. They don't have Harold's in Seattle. Y'all pray for me. Amen. It's been blessing me. Anyway, I'm back. So, David brings some heralds to his brothers, and they're like, what y'all standing around for? And they're like, you see that thug over there from Inglewood? His name is Goliath, man. He's a beast. And uh, we scared. David said, no, nah, I'll, take, I'll take him out. Here, take your lunch, eat. Watch this. God's going to do something. It's going to be great. Saul's like, are you kidding me? David says, let me, let me help you out, King Saul. Uh, there was a lion that came up and tried to take one of my daddy's sheep. I ran up behind it, put it in the figure four leg lock, WWE style. The Lord was with me. I do not recommend you running up on no lion saying God is with me. It may not be the same outcome. Amen. So David kills a lion. He said, that's not all. There was this bear that got hungry in one of some of my sheep, and I gave it a bear hug and took the bear out. He said, and the same God 
Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to rely on your strength. He said, the same God that was with me with the lion, the same God who was with me with the bear, will be the same God who will be with me when I fight up against this Philistine. And you sometimes have to hit the rewind button on the DVD of your life and see all the things that God has brought you through. And if God was faithful then, God will be faithful now. Give him praise in the building. Hallelujah. We were, my wife and I, our last road trip to Seattle took all the road trip love out of us. We were road trip people prior to that. Amen. Chicago to Seattle is no joke. So, um, but we were on this road trip to Florida. We were taking our babies to Disney World. The airline tickets were a million dollars. You figure it out. So we took a road trip and we had our iPhone as our GPS. And this was back in the time where, you know, today it's pretty much standard. You could trust a phone to be your GPS anywhere. But back in the day, this was new technology we didn't know, but we was trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, we got to a town uh, called Very Few Black People, Georgia. <laughs> oh, you've been there too? Yeah, yeah. Not Atlanta. <laughs> Amen. Not Smyrna, but Very Few Black People. Georgia, that town still exists. Amen. And, uh, you know, my wife is funny. My wife won't say, uh, I'm scared. My wife will say, hey, is that GPS right? I don't know. I think this ain't the right, this ain't where we supposed to be. And uh, I said, well, baby, that's the road it says on. I said, no, I don't think you're reading that right. My wife is really trying to say, I'm scared out of my mind. And if you don't get me and my children uh, out of Mississippi burning part two, uh, uh, this marriage is going to be over. So, but she don't say that. She's just like, hey, this GPS ain't working. Something ain't right. But she tapping at it. This, this ain't right. She re-putting in Florida, saying, hoping it's going to come over some help, and this thing stay on this road. And I had to say, the same GPS that got us through Illinois, the same GPS that got us through Kentucky, the same GPS that got us through Tennessee, is the same GPS that'll get us out of very few black people, Georgia and get us to our destination. And we made it. They saw Disney World. They saw Mickey Mouse. It was all good. We're still here. Praise the Lord. Somebody shout amen. Family, don't let the first two verses mess you up because you need to realize that he's sustaining you while you're going through. He is sustaining you while you're going through. You know what's one of the most beautiful miracles of the woman with the issue of blood? Everybody know that story? Woman with the issue of blood? She bled for 12 years. Most people miss the fact, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. There may be a doctor in the house, but I'm almost sure if you're bleeding nonstop for 12 years, that's, that's not a good prognosis. I'm just guessing. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not a, a, a doctor in any shape, form, or fashion. But I would imagine most people would have died a long time ago. And what most people miss is the miracle of God already sustaining this sister for 12 years. And sometimes we can get so caught up on the situation, we miss the miracle that we're experiencing in the midst of the situation. That you're still here. That you're still in church this morning. That you're still breathing. Some of us need to take time out and just say, God, thank you for keeping me in the midst of this hell that I'm going through. Come on, somebody. Lord, I thank you for keeping me in the midst of the misery. I know you're going to get me out, but Lord, let me just thank you for keeping me in my right mind because I've seen people go through this and they blew their brains out. 
But here I am still giving you praise and glory. I want you to know that's not, a, that's not an accident or a coincidence. That is the grace of God that we need to rely on his strength, his unfailing hesed, his unfailing love. Can you shout amen? And so I encourage you today, I'm pretty much done, that no matter how bad or rough the season or situation I want to encourage you, you can take another look. And this really, family, if we think about it, is the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of the cross, that it allows us to take another look on this life we live. Because of the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are able to no longer look at our lives ultimately ending in destruction, but that we can take another look and know that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life because we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. And so you can take another look and get through the situation when you reach, when you readjust, and when you rely. When you reach for God who is your source. When you readjust your eyes to see things with God shedding his light on the situation. And when we rely on God's faithfulness to deliver us out. You heard Pastor Michael when he prayed for me, and I thank God for prayer. How many of y'all know prayer still changes things in 2014? Amen? He prayed for not only today, but for tomorrow. A lot of you don't know, uh, we came into town on Wednesday. I had the pleasure and privilege of officiating my younger sister's wedding. The greatest part is we actually liked the guy, so I didn't have to lie. Amen? When I married them, praise the Lord. We love this guy. It's great. Preach here today, but earlier last week on Tuesday, my grandmother passed. And I have the honor to eulogize her on tomorrow. It's been a crazy roller coaster of emotions. So many people praying for me and my family, um, asking me, how in the world? Could you do all that in the span of a weekend? What are you doing? And I told them that God has allowed me to take another look at the situation. On one hand, it's rocked me to the core. That was my Grammy. That was the love of my life. But God allowed me to shed his light on the situation and be able to look at the fact she lived to be 88 years old. She's no longer suffering. She's in heaven. To ask for anything else would be greedy. But family, I want you to know, with every fiber in my being, I want to hurt. But because God has allowed me to shed his light on the situation, I can see it from a different perspective. And embrace his peace that surpasses all understanding. And I want you to know there's nothing special about me. The same God who did it for me is the same God who can do it for you. So I don't know what you may be facing. We come to church, we smile, we fellowship, we greet, and the reality is some of us don't know all hell could be breaking loose in our lives and we don't know it. And so if you're here today, I want to encourage you to take another look. Don't don't summarize the situation with just your eyeballs on it, with just your ability on it, with just your thinking on it. But allow God to shed his light on your situation. Allow yourself to look at it knowing 
who you got on your team, who you have on your side, knowing that if he was faithful to do it before, he is more than faithful to do it again. Pray with me. Gracious God, we love you so much. Father, if we could be honest, you have been better to us than we could ever be to ourselves. Father, we come to you today, first of all, thanking you that you have been so good to us, that you have been faithful, that in the midst of situations and circumstances, you have been faithful. Father God, I pray for my brother and my sister who may be here today facing some crazy stuff. Father God, I I ask that you would shed your light on their situation, that you would remind them of your hesed, of your unfailing love. Remind them that you are the same God that delivered them from the last situation and that through each situation, you are pruning them to make them stronger representatives of you in the earth. So, Father God, we ask that you will continue to be the God Emmanuel, the God with us. That you will give us the strength to continue to fight the good fight of faith. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.